Before, before I get into today's message, I just want to share with you um, some thoughts that I've had. And it's, it's a little discouraging sometimes in the summer or, or on holiday weekends, you know, when sometimes you don't have quite as many people, you know, from our church family in service on a Sunday. And I was just having these thoughts about, you know, there's a couple of different ways that I could approach or Teresa and I could approach pastoring or under-shepherding, you know, Jesus being the shepherd, under-shepherding his church. And one of them is we could, every week, we could teach biblical principles, right? Lots and lots of principles in the Bible, lots of things to learn from the Bible. And then you could hear those principles and you could go and do whatever you do with them and come in on Sunday and, and go be out there all week long and come back on Sunday. But that's not the way we see the scriptures and it's not the way we feel the burden. The, the burden is that we're a body, right? We're a, we're a fellowship together. Maybe we're a finger. I think we're somewhere at the end of the arm. You know, if, if the whole church is the body of Jesus and different churches maybe kind of have a little different part in the body, I, I honestly think we're like a hand because it's the hand that you put on there when somebody, you pray for them to get healed and it's the hand that you wrap around them when you hug them so they can know Jesus' love. It's important that you're here. And I'm, I'm talking to you and you're all here. Thank you for being faithful. It's important that you come because God's not doing just a principle, a principle, a principle. He's growing us as a part of the body for a function of the body. And, and it's so important that, that you come. And I understand that there's going to be situations where you can't come to church, but it, it needs to be a priority for you on Sunday mornings. And if you can't come to church, we have an internet. And you, no we don't, we have a website that's on the internet. Uh, I used to be a computer guy. We have a website, and every week we put the message up there. And, and if you could, at least if you're not in church, listen to the message. Because if you miss a couple, two or three weeks, you'll be totally disconnected from where the Lord has taken us as a body. And it will be difficult for us to function together, you know, as a cohesive part of the big body of Jesus, which is his church. All right? So I'm just asking you, please, make that a priority. Okay, so I thought all week long I was pondering and reading and praying, thinking that today I was going to talk about, okay, you know, we had the revival meetings and um, Teresa got revived. It was awesome. You know, Patty, I heard Patty Engberg. Every time she opened her Bible, she'd just start to weep. The scriptures were just like, touching her so powerfully. And I was going to say, all right, well, now we're going to go out and be church on the street and we'll be praying for the sick. And I was going to preach on that and then teach you know specifically ways that you can pray for people and i got to i think it was friday and my thoughts were like that's getting the cart ahead of the horse so so today i'm going to start with the great commission we're going to look at it as we see it um in all four gospels really really strongly portrayed in the three synoptic gospels but also in john a little bit and then talk through what really is getting the horse in front of the cart okay all right, so the Great Commission is where Jesus literally has spent his three or three and a half years of ministry on earth. He's, he's walked all throughout Judea and Galilee and all these different places. He's taught um, all the things that we see in Scripture that he taught. He's demonstrated the kingdom. You know, he's created, or God has created this following with this inner circle of three, James and John and Peter, and this, this other tight circle with the other nine, what, what would be apostles, minus Judas would be 11 plus Matthias, 
whoever was number 12 that took, took Judas's place, and then this little broader circle of disciples that kind of followed him around and were more or less connected to Jesus. He's about to, or he has been, through his passion, you know, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and now he's literally commissioning his disciples who shortly will be the church as to what their task is once he's gone. So let's, let's look at that commission. Um, I looked in the dictionary, four things that I saw in there that fit well with what Jesus is doing in these scriptures. Uh, to commission is, to, is the act of granting authority to undertake certain functions. That's clearly a definition that fits. A formal statement of a command or injunction to do something, that fits. Authorization and empowerment, that absolutely fits. And um, those that are commissioned would be a group of representatives or delegates, and that's us. So let's start in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus come up, came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I think, <coughs> I don't remember, pardon me, I don't remember if it was Ed or Denny that touched on this, but in, in, the, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, you see that God created the, the heavens and the earth and, and the plants and the animals and, and he makes Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathes life into him and from Adam comes Eve and then he gives them this commission be fruitful and multiply he basically says that your responsibility is to take dominion over this planet the authority of, of, of the planet earth was given to mankind some amount of time after that the serpent slithers into the garden gets Eve to pick the fruit from the tree, right? He said, the only command, you do whatever you want, eat what you want. The only thing you can't do is eat the fruit of this tree, the, the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. And in that sin, they transferred authority from themselves to Satan. Then you see, go fast, 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 all through the Old Testament, you come to the New Testament, and Jesus, he's out in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by Satan, Right? But he doesn't succumb, he doesn't succumb, he doesn't succumb. He leads the perfect life, he fulfills the plan. He had to come and do it as a man, because man was given authority, man released authority, a man had to get the authority back. So through that whole process, Jesus then says, all authority has been given to me. Right Now he didn't actually restore that authority to us as it was in the beginning. We are his delegates, his representatives. It's his authority we operate in his authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. Therefore, in his words, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go in my authority and do these things that we're about to see here. So the authority that we have is absolute because it's all authority, but it's in Jesus Christ. It's his delegated through us. All right? We're ambassadors. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember, I don't know if I was, I think I might have going to say this later, but if you were here last week, you likely signed a blank sheet of paper, right? He taught us. He said, listen, you don't come to God and say, okay, here are the terms by which I will receive you. You go to God and you say, Lord... I give up my life to you. And we sign a contract. And it turns out, I'm not sure who this is, but God can read your handwriting. He knows, he knows what that says right there. And we sign up to a blank sheet of paper, and we invite him to fill it in as we live our what, what feels like our life, but it's not our life, it's his life through Christ. Okay, So 
when you're hearing the Great Commission, you, you need to hear it in the context of what you did to get to this place in your walk with Christ was sign the blank piece of paper. Now he's starting to fill it in. Okay. Okay. That was uh, Matthew. Now, did I finish? I'm with you always to the end of the age. I did. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 20. Remember, this is on your piece of paper that you signed. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. That's, that's us. In my name, Jesus, in his name, right? His authority, in my name, Jesus, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, you got to hear this, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. See, when we're out there and we're proclaiming Jesus in his name, in his authority, he confirms those words from heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit that people be healed. It happened this morning. I just remember. Can I share? Right? So, in children's church, they get a word of knowledge. A gift of the Holy Spirit. A word of knowledge. That somebody's got an, an injured elbow. Eileen's granddaughter is visiting. She's in there with them. And she says, my grandma's got a hurt elbow. I mean, it hurts to the point where the, the granddaughter has to shift the shifter on the car for her to be able to drive in here. The little kids come out, pray for her, elbow healed. Right? Just like that. I mean, that's, that's this. That's them doing what Jesus commissioned them to do, to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit through the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be able to hear him say, there's somebody with a bad elbow, I want to heal that today, to come out here, pray in faith, and see it done. He confirmed the word through those children. I love it. Yeah. Okay. And they will, you love it too. You love it probably even better because your elbow doesn't hurt. So then when the Lord Jesus went out, get up with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's going to be important to hear a little bit later. Right? So if you're ever wondering, what am I supposed to do? All you've got to do is just read the Gospels, see what Jesus did, do that. Because as he was sent, you are sent. Luke chapter 24, 44 through 49. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He then opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So remember that last part. He says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold... I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. So you, the promise of the Father upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Oopsie. Ugh. 
I need a little thing that keeps my spot in here. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Okay, Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. So you've got Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is like Luke continuing the Gospel of Luke in showing us what happened as the church is born and then the church functioned for, I don't know, what is it, 40 or 50 years of time. So Acts is kind of like the next chapter of Luke. He says, gathering them together, this is Jesus, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Remember at the end of Luke, he told them to wait. But to wait for the Father, for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So if you, the, the Gospels are not um, sequential, they're parallel, but if you kind of look at the process... Right? Jesus comes, he teaches, right? His message was the kingdom. He teaches the kingdom, he demonstrates the kingdom, he builds a following of disciples, right? He then commissions them, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive power for what purpose? To be his witness, right? Commissioned with all of his authority, baptized in the Holy Spirit, receive power, be his witness. His witness is more than a little bit of speak about Jesus. It isn't just like a witness on the stand at a trial. Somebody says, Jesus isn't real, and you say, yes, I'm his witness. It's that, but it's so much more than that. We witness Jesus by walking as he walked and being as he was and doing what he did. So the, the general of what's on your contract that, that you filled out for Jesus or you signed your name to and he filled out, was all those things that you saw. Preach the gospel to all creation. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to to obey all His commandments. As the Father has sent, we are to be sent. It's written on our little contract. To be like Jesus in every way. To surrender to the mission. Literally, um, Jesus, I only do what I see the Father doing. So totally surrender to the mission. You have to decide that that's the truth for you, just like it was the truth for Jesus. And then invite the Holy Spirit to come and help you to get to the place of complete and total surrender so that you're fully functioning in your call in this part of your life. Right? The next part of your life is the reward. This part is your call to serve Jesus now. We're to cast out demons, speak with new tongues, pick up deadly serpents, not be harmed if we drink deadly poison, and heal the sick. He didn't say to them, though, at the end of the Great Commission, he didn't say to them, now go get busy, go do this. What did he say to them? He said, wait. Why did he say wait? For the promise, the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if we look in the book of Acts a little bit further... This first group of disciples, there were, I think, 120 of them left. Jesus said, wait. And they didn't all wait. But 120 did wait. And they're in this room and they're praying. And all of a sudden, the promise of the Father comes. And literally, the church is born in that instant when they were 
indwelt, like baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, where this happens. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That was the first thing. Don't preach to all the nations, don't drink any poison, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You look a little bit further back and you you find out that um, this guy Philip had gone to Samaria and all kinds of amazing miracles God was doing through Philip. And he was proclaiming the kingdom and proclaiming Jesus as Savior and people were receiving him. And that word got back to Jerusalem and here's what happened. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. The first thing. Philip, who was not an apostle. Sometimes people want to push back and they say, well, you know, you read in the book of Acts, it talks all about all these wonders that the apostles were doing. Philip was not an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. He was a disciple. We're disciples. He was, he was doing the mighty works that lit up Samaria. The word gets back to Jerusalem, and the apostles, the elders in the church, were like, oh man, we need to get to Samaria now because they're receiving the word of God. They're getting saved, but we don't know if they've been baptized yet in the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that they did is they ran down there, they didn't check their doctrine, they didn't whatever, they went there to see had they been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, they had the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look a little bit further down. Um, Paul is walking back to Ephesus, and it says, it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. So he, he, he tripped over some Christians. That's pretty good if you planted a church there, right? You know, if Teresa and I retire someplace, we come back and find a Christian or two here, that'd be great. No, no, it'd be great if the whole darn place was Christian. All right, I'm not prophesying anything less than that. He found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Paul met these disciples. The first thing he asked them, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? No, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Okay, baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about tongues. We, we belong to this fellowship called the Assemblies of God. One of the doctrines of the Assembly of God, one of the, like, you know, the, the, the pillars of, of doctrine in the Pentecostal church generally, but certainly in the Assemblies of God, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical to every believer and that the initial evidence that a person has been baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. So in 
the day of Pentecost, right, clearly, you know, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the initial time it's happened. They spoke in other tongues, literally in other languages that people heard. And they were, they were so speaking in these other tongues that some of the people, the thunderous sound, all of what commotion was going on as God released his spirit and birthed his church caused people who were there for the Feast of Pentecost to come and see what's going on. And they literally heard these guys talking in their native languages. They didn't own those native languages. It was given to them by God. So in the first instance of the Holy Spirit baptism, you see speaking in other tongues. In Samaria, there is no specific reference to speaking in other tongues, but there was this guy, Simon. They called him Simon the Sorcerer. And he had, must have been demonic powers, but he was able to do stuff. And he was part of this group that had been um, led to Jesus by Philip. And he sees when, the, when Peter and John come down and baptize them in the Holy Spirit. He sees what happens, and he literally wants to give money to them so that they can pray to God so that he can have that power to cause people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So specifically, it doesn't say what it was that Simon saw that so excited him that he wanted to give money to be able to do it himself. My speculation is it was probably tongues because that's the only consistent manifestation you see where there is a manifestation. The other manifestation you see is prophesying. So you can assume something probably happened in Samaria. You can make a connection that was probably tongues, but it doesn't literally say that. I'm trying to remember which is the order. The next place is Paul, this guy named Ananias. God tells this guy Ananias that this guy Paul, who just had his Damascus Road experience, where this bright light and this voice from heaven shines down on him, and he is taken into the city and told to wait there. And this guy was going to come and pray for him. And Ananias, in the parallel, gets this message from God. He says, hey, go pray for this guy, Paul. And he's like, I don't want to go anywhere near him because he's the guy who kills people because they're Christians. God said, no, no, he's going to find out how much he must suffer in my name. Go, lay hands on him. The scales will fall off his eyes, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he goes and Paul is baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is no reference of any manifestation happening at that point. But later we hear Paul say, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So we know that he got that baptism and he got that manifestation. Whether it happened in that moment or not, we don't know for positive. The next one is the the house of Cornelius, this Roman centurion guy who was a devout believer and he was blessing the Jews. Uh, He got a word from heaven from an angel to go send his people to pick up this guy named Peter, told him where to find him. At the same time, Peter is getting this vision from heaven, telling him that he's going to have some guys come get him, and he's to go. Peter is literally sharing the gospel with Cornelius and all the people that he brought there to hear this message. And as he's speaking, they begin to speak in other tongues. I don't remember whether they prophesied or not. But that's how Peter knew. When he went back to Jerusalem, he said, guys, guess what? Salvation isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And they're like, shut up, it is not. He says, yes, it is. And the reason he knew was because the manifestation was the same in the Gentiles. God had given them that same gift that that Peter and the boys had gotten on the day of Pentecost. It was tongues that taught them that. And then you see in uh, chapter 19 of Acts, when Paul goes to Ephesus, and he lays hands on these people to have them be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they do manifest tongues and prophecy in that motion. So, doctrinally, the Pentecostal church and, and the Assemblies of God specifically would tell you that speaking in other tongues is the initial 
evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Personally, I don't know whether you can have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and not yet manifested the gift, but I don't know that you can't. So I don't, I don't necessarily want us to get all gummed up over tongues. What we want to get gummed up over is the desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's a requirement for us to fulfill the commission. Okay. To be clear, when a person confesses Jesus sincerely from their heart, gives their life to Him as Lord, says that, I have no life anymore of my own will. My life is in your will, Jesus. You're the Lord of my life. And sincerely comes to faith in their heart that He is Savior, that His life, death, and resurrection accomplish the payment for all their sin debt to God. When they get to that place and they make that confession, the Holy Spirit comes into them. So if you've made that confession and gotten saved, gotten born again, you have the Holy Spirit. But you may not have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a second act of grace, I guess you'd call it, of God for the church. And the way I look at it, and I don't know if I could make doctrine out of this, but it's probably close, is that when, when you receive the Holy Spirit at, at your salvation, it's, it's like he comes in on your behalf as the, as the power of sanctification in your life. So that as God starts to reveal to you those things that aren't like Jesus, it's in his power that you can put those things down and pick up Jesus. Put those things down and pick up Jesus. Literally be transformed into the likeness of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, more references when you see that the, the prophecy that rivers of living water will flow from your innermost places. It's almost like the first act of grace where he comes and takes up residence inside of you is for your sanctification. The second in the baptism is for this world's sanctification so that he can come through you in power and touch and touch and touch and touch and touch and touch so that you now become what Jesus was, this vessel of kingdom power to change the world. Does that make sense? Okay. And I think I'll show you something that's kind of cool in a minute that's, that will maybe reinforce that a little bit. The first time when Jesus said, Peace be with you in John. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And, he, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Most of the theologians believe that, that at that point they were saved because Jesus had already been resurrected. Until he'd been resurrected, they couldn't place their faith in his resurrection, right? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Well, it hadn't happened yet. So they didn't have the opportunity for that faith just yet. Now they have. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Most of the theologians would tell you that, that that's when they were saved. But, but Jesus said that's not the end of this process. You have to go into the city and wait until the promise of the Father comes upon you and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit with power to be his witness. Okay, let's look at Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, I'm going to read Luke 3, 21 and 22, and I'm going to jump to Luke 4, 1 and 2, but it's almost like a continuous conversation Luke sticks in the genealogy scriptures in the middle. So the only stuff that's missing is, you know, so-and-so was the father of such-and-such, was the father of this one and this one and this one and this one. If you take that out, it's like one continuous thought. All right, Luke 3, 21 and 22. 
Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. So think of that one maybe in terms of he breathed, like God breathed on him to receive the Holy Spirit. It continues, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So the Jordan is where he's just baptized and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Fast forward to verse 14 in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written. So, let me summarize a minute, because the next part is so cool. Here's Jesus, right? John the Baptist, he's dunking people. They're being baptized into the baptism of repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah. And and John the Baptist had said that the one who sent him, now, I'm assuming that's God, or maybe it was the angel Gabriel came and talked to him. It doesn't really say, but, but, they, but somebody, whether it was an angel or was it God himself, told John the Baptist how he would know when the Messiah actually showed up that, this, that the Holy Spirit would come from heaven, descend on him like a dove, and he would stay there. He would rest. So, so he sees this happening. He baptizes Jesus because Jesus had to be baptized for all righteousness to be fulfilled. So he gets baptized. He comes up out of the water. He's praying. He gets the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days where he doesn't eat or drink. He is tempted by Satan in these 40 days. He comes out of the wilderness now in the power of the Holy Spirit, in full of the Holy Spirit. That's a Greek word, plerez. Out in the power, the Greek word dunamis. Two different words. He walks back to his place where he came from. He goes into the synagogue, into the little church that they have there. He asks for the scroll from Isaiah and he begins to read. So he's literally about to read the prophecy about himself that he's fulfilling. It's awesome. The part I want you to hear though is, it's his commission. Just like he commissioned us, it's his commission. Okay, so, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord, oh, it gives me tingles. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. See, just like us, just Jesus, he showed us everything. He came into the wilderness With the Holy Spirit, we got breathed on by God, right? We got saved, we made the confession, Holy Spirit comes in, he starts to do this work inside of us so that we we personally can be like Jesus. Then we wait and we get this gift, this promise from God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gets this power of God in the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure doctrinally whether anybody would support that as guaranteed fact, but it's very Similar, I've heard it preached before. I don't think it's, it's, it's necessarily something you need to be concerned about, but it's a cool picture, isn't it? Now he's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes and he proclaims his mission. 
the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, that's what you say. You say, when you get baptized by the Holy Spirit, you say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. On me. Because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Anybody that doesn't know the gospel is poor. They can live in a big house, but they're poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. He has sent me to, to recover sight to the blind. He has sent me to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's what today is about. It's about getting the horse in front of the cart. Now, maybe all of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you have, then this one is for you. 2 Timothy, you don't have this one, I don't think. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This is Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. That, that promise of God, the Holy Spirit, that, was, that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. See, if we're timid in any way, that either we haven't gotten that gift yet, which will bring that boldness and that power to be his witness in all of the earth, in Argentine and Swartz Creek and Fenton and Brighton, you pick it, any place, right? So either we haven't gotten that yet and we're timid because we're waiting, or we've been listening to the liar and he's, he's brought a spirit. There's a spirit of timidity that's influencing the way we think. See, Teresa, the spirit of timidity, got his butt kicked last weekend. And she's, man, everybody and their brother. If you got an oxygen or you got a wheelchair or a crutch, forget it. You're fair game. Because that's not the kingdom. And, and she says, my job is to bring the kingdom into this whole world on earth as it is in heaven. And she's out there doing it. Praise God. Yeah, I get convicted a lot being married to her. So it's one of those two things. If, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and there's timidity, then you just need to fan that thing fresh. It was, they sang about it today. Fan it fresh. Fan. Put the flame. Lord, help me. Build this fire up inside of me because I do not have a timid spirit. I have a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. I just love this so much. God is so awesome. See, Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's, he's established this church in Corinth, and then he's gone off and established other churches, and now the Corinthian church has got some false apostles that are coming in, and they're trying to give them different doctrine and whatnot. And, and Paul is addressing, it's like, now you're questioning me as, as an apostle because you get these other false guys in there. That's kind of the, the gist of the conversation that's happening here. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need to commend ourselves to you again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? He's like, do I need to send a letter of commendation? Because God will commend me through all these works, all these miracles. He said, I don't, I don't preach the gospel in words. It's in power. So do I need a letter? Do you need to send a letter? He says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So it's like somebody says, um, Pat and Teresa, you know, you're not a real apostle, or you're not a real pastor. I say, well, you don't think so? Let me just send you a letter, you know. Mandy, go see this person. 
And Mandy goes, oh no, that's Mandy that heals all the sick people. See, you're the letter that Christ is real. They were the letter that Paul's teaching was real. It wasn't any commendation that would come on a piece of paper. It's the letter that's written on your heart by the Holy Spirit that confesses and testifies to the Lord and to the kingdom and to the truth and to what's happening. You get that? Now here's the part that has to do with the Holy Spirit. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, we are in no way adequate to release the kingdom. We just don't have it. It's only the adequacy that comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit that happens when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit that we can be his witness in power. A witness without power is a poor witness. It's words. Words are cheap, right? Money talks and BS walks or however that thing works, right? The money that we have is the power of the kingdom. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit written on our hearts, demonstrated through our faithfulness as we release the kingdom into this earth. So, maybe now you guys can come back. I honestly didn't think I'd be near this long. It's all those testimonies, but we're going to keep doing testimonies. So, today, I want us to just take a couple of minutes to pray for God to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. It, 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 it might come if you don't ask. But Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the good gift in Matthew, the Holy Spirit, I think, in Luke, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, if you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you have the evidence of speaking in other tongues, then I think you just ask for a fresh infilling. Okay? And then you become the prayer team today. If you've not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, no shame at all. I, I, I didn't even know exactly what I was asking for. I prayed for over two years, maybe close to three years, for the gift of tongues. See, I was mistaken. Somebody told me if I had tongues, I would have power. What I wanted was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The power is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is a fruit. It's a gift from God. But what I should have been praying for was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that, if, even if you think you might but you're not sure, you've got to ask for it today. Okay? And then we'll sing this We Are Hungry song while we're praying, right? Because we're hungry. We're telling God, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have made a decision to be a revived church. They use the word redeemed. I I like that too. I I like that word a lot because it's like Jesus commissioned his church. And you can read in the book of Acts for a while, it looked like it was supposed to look. But then gradually it started to diminish, you know, it got bad thoughts in their heads and, and things changed. And what he's doing is he's redeeming his church back to its initial glory, its initial call to release that kingdom in power to this world that needs Jesus. And that's what we're asking for. The first step is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we might have the power to be his witness in everywhere we go. Okay? So, big lights down, other lights can come on. I want us to worship this song from our hearts, because we've got to be hungry. It's, it's hunger and humility that God responds to. And then we pray, and if anyone 
wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come up here and, and we will pray for you. And please, I, I, Lord, just bind up any spirit that would tell somebody, oh, you know, if somebody else has it and I don't have it, then you know, people will think that I'm not spiritual. That's just a bunch of crap. It, it's truly just a bunch of nonsense. I don't understand how come some people it happens right away and other people like me got to beg for years to get that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you wouldn't care. All we want is it. How it gets here, whether it's in a minute or in a decade, then that just means a decade of praying for it. Amen? Okay, let's, let's worship.